Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Very good Friday morning to you. Mike McNamara in for a Friday edition of All Marine Radio. Yeah, my friends are going to join me here this morning. The Mensa Brothers, as you know them. Will Cosentini, known as Will C. Yeah, the artist known as Will C. And uh, he will he will join us from upstate New York, I believe. We'll find out. Uh, Tim Lynch, who lives in McAllen, Texas, and uh, Jeff Kenny, who bounces between the Eastern White House in Las Vegas and the Western White House in San Clemente, much like Richard Nixon. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we're going to talk to them. Uh, we'll talk about three topics today. And uh, one is uh, Colonel Mark Kansian wrote a piece in Forbes entitled U.S. Troops Are Not Terrorists, Parsing the Violent Extremist Numbers. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about a New York Times opinion piece about the Ukraine. Pretty interesting. And then we're going to talk about a proceedings article Entitled, A Warfighting Imperative, Back to Basics for the Navy. And, you know, Tim enlisted Navy, Navy guy, Will, from the Naval Academy. So we'll see what they have to say about that. Uh, appeared in proceedings, if I didn't say that. So without further ado, the Mensa Brothers. So it's been a while. I don't know exactly how long this has been, but it's been a few weeks. So joining me are the Mensa brothers. And uh, some people say that satire. I do not. Okay. I think that's a serious name. 
And uh, joining me from his home, well, his parents' home in New York State is Will C. Will, uh, how are things in New York? I, I read in the paper that it's really cold on the, on the East Coast. Is that true? Uh, it's January in upstate New York, so it snows every day. Today it was in the 40s. I think Saturday it's going to be zero. And Monday they're going to get like six or eight inches of snow. So it's a normal January. So what? all of my efforts to enhance global warming <laughs> have not come to fruition here in the great white north. And it's merely average. Well, it was pretty gloom and doom in the newspaper I, I read because the the frigid air of the Midwest got to the East Coast. And so the Midwesterners, they just say, yeah, that, this is the way it is. But. Yeah, on the East Coast, evidently, those same rules don't apply. Well, the East Coast, I don't know if you know, extends from somewhere at the tip of the Florida Peninsula all the way to northern Maine. And so some of those East Coasters are like people in Virginia and Maryland (laughs) who are panicked. Up here, I mean, my mom is going to turn 80 in March. It snows every day. She goes out every day and runs her errands. That's what you're supposed to do. So it's really sort of irrelevant here. Well, speaking of the great state of Maryland, a former, were you born in Maryland, Timmy? Where were you born? No, I was born in Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. What's up? Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah, a state I know very little about and can tell you virtually nothing, but I was born there. The, um... Tim's in McAllen, Texas. You want to give us a weather report in, from McAllen? It's nicer, right? Well, let's see. Yeah, it uh, gets up to about 75 in the in the afternoon. It gets down to around 60 at night. It is beautiful. Not a cloud in the sky. Great clouds of broadtail hawks are doing their kettling all over the house. It's nice out here, man. It's a birder's paradise. Like I said, EB Sledge would be at home right here. What is right kettle? You you've said that before, kettling. Oh yeah. Ooh. So these these hawks, they'll get in gigantic kettles where they go they go clockwise on looking for air currents. What they're trying to do is is, is so what is a kettle? A kettle obviously is a, not a, a big a collection. Me- metallic a collection. Yeah. Cinder- cylinder, eh? No, no. A, a kettle is what you call a large large collection of hawks. That are migrating. They're how did cows. you how did you learn that? Because that is not something that most of us know. Will, did you know that? I didn't know that, but I surmised it from the conversation. You did. I didn't surmise that it was a vessel that you made tea in. <laughs> well, I see. I, I told found... you, Will. He's the smart guy in the group. Jeffrey, did you know? Did you know what a kettle was of hawks? No, I did not. Not at all. Thank you. Jeffrey, more candid than Will. No, I admitted my ignorance, but I also used a little critical thinking and figured it had to do like, instead of a flock, they must call hawks kettles. Okay, look. That wasn't the question. The question was, did you know it did like that's that's a fairly low bar for critical thinking that you figured that one out there, smart guy. Of being with pseudo journalists is you are not required to answer their questions. Oh, you answer your own. I got it. 
I got it. All right. So usually have our fox killing individuals. So, you know, so the go ahead, Tim. They're not, packs, they're not in packs or kettles as you call it when they do their hunting. It seems like I was I. I was wondering what the hell a hundred or so hawks was doing over my yard. And I asked my neighbor, Rudy, who uh, retired from the post office, but he's a big birder. And Rudy says, that's a kettle of hawks. And what they're doing is, is they're going around and they'll get real tight and let the air current force them up. So without the, they gain altitude without expending lots of energy and they can cruise further without expending energy. It's how an energy many, conservation move. How many ha hawks does I've it take? Hundreds. Does it take to make a kettle? Four. Four? That's an arbitrary thing I just picked, but I seem to be so the expert on hogs. So less, I guess I can say that. Less than four. Uh, I, I have no idea. Really. Less than four would be a section? I think a less than four would be a section or a scouting <laughs> party. There's probably lots of cool names. But uh, the kettle thing I had, to, I had to learn from my neighbor. And it's once you know what they're doing and you're watching, you can see they get way the hell up there. And then they would just you say? Cruise. Would you say it's fascinating? Sober, or do you need to be some moderately inebriated to get into the whole bird thing? Well, Mac, I have to tell you that I observed this in the afternoon, and I was, in fact, sober. And I've never really considered it, but I think if you were having a gigantic party, a hawk kettle watching party, that might be enjoyable. I'm not so sure. But, you know, the thing is, is the wind moves and they move, and they're not they're not stationary. You know, it's not like you'd have a... You got to catch them when they're when they're uh, aggregating, uh, and for some reason they do it down in my end of the valley. I mean, it's, there's often you'd see several kettles. Just it's cool, man. That's that's my entertainment. So it'd be a relatively short party if we were having one for a, a kettle. Yeah, party. this is yeah this is this is your EB sledge type of entertainment thing. Not mm -hmm. not not your your typical infantry officer get together in soiree. That's a whole different setup, you know, right. folks. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. And joining us, I think from Southern California, are you are you in the Western White House or the Eastern White House? Yeah, I'm in the West. In San Clemente. Gotcha. So Jeffrey Kenny joins us. Jeffrey, how was uh yeah. how are you, how are your holidays? Are they good? Good. Good. I stayed uh, like twelve days straight in Las Vegas. I barely moved. Did you? Out of, out of the house. Yeah. What, it, so what, what, what was uh was a major what was a major accomplishment out of those twelve days? Not moving. Well, uh, watched a shitload of movies and um, read old books. Ate my wife's chow. Sounds like a go to any restaurant. Sounds like a pretty relaxing yeah. uh, twelve days. Yeah, it was. Gotcha. So I have to recover from it now because you know. I dealt myself some health issue blows there by being totally, uh, you know, inert for like days on end. You know? So, uh, come I'm on, back, I'm good. It's the holidays. I mean, that's yeah. ex that's expected. That's expected. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I had Mark Cancian on Wednesday. Mark Cancian, Colonel, United States Marine Corps Reserve, retired, prolific writer. Uh, we all read him as young officers, because he'd been writing for a few decades now. He wrote a piece that Forbes published, U.S. troops are not terrorists, colon, parsing the violent extremist numbers. Um, thoughts on uh, thoughts on that, Will? Uh, I'll give you three things. Number one, I like the way he goes right at the data. 
January 6, 727 people have been charged, 81 veterans, so that means they're unre- underrepresented compared to the population. Four reservists, uh, one active duty. Uh, overall, 100 active duty swept up in the in the uh, violent extremist. So that's 0.005% of the force, which means 99.995% of the force are doing the right thing. And I got to tell you something, any unit I was in, if I could get like 90% of the people doing the right thing, I mean, I'm putting people in for Navy Achievement Medals, right? Um, two other things that I put in there he, he, that I, you know, part of this article is he, he attacks the idea that the, that, that the military is home to violent extremists, but he's afraid to just go right out and say this whole thing is completely ludicrous. Uh, he asks a question in the article, why is there so much attention on this? Uh, well, the answer is because it's part of the narrative. That's why it's got nothing else. He posits that perhaps these crimes attack the foundation of our society. And so that's why there's so much attention. But riots in the streets where we're burning down police uh, buildings and attacking federal courthouses don't attack the foundation of our society. So, and then he describes this as a problem that we need to be aware of. And again, What's the problem? 99.995% of the active duty force has got nothing to do with this. And that's a problem we should be concerned with. Um, I can think of a whole lot of other problems uh, where if we got to, again, 90, 95% of the force doing the right thing, we would be ecstatic. more Marines, more active duty uh, military are going to take their own lives in the next two weeks. They're going to be involved in any of this. And if you think about it, the violent extremists that's wreaked the most havoc, Hassan, 13 killed down in Fort Hood, was described by a previous administration as workplace violence. It's a complete and utter farce. And it's unfortunate that Mark didn't come right to that conclusion in the end after he proved the point. And that's, I think, the only weakness in the article. Tim? Yeah, the, uh, I, I, liked, I liked the article. Um, it was well-written. I mean, it's, it's Carl Kansing. You know, we've been reading him for years, and I agree with everything Will said. And I have to reflect back to my recruiting experience. We did actively tried to prevent getting not extremists it was basically gang members we we the marine corps would identify uh uh would have to submit waivers for any kind of questionable or dodgy looking tattoo and i had two farm boys in idaho who when they were nine years old had put like three little dots in, in the web of their hand in between their thumb and their forefinger which i guess is the 45 tray street crips gang sign and they weren't allowed to be enlisted and I'm like, come on, man. You guys are killing me. These guys don't know anything about gang life. They know how to milk cows. They're, they're needed. So, 
you, you get what, what we'll just point out, which is this is ridiculous. We were in the military during the same time as these officers were, were climbing the ladder. We know it, it was complete bullshit. Yet and still today, this very day, we get an announcement that um, they're, uh, they're now going to start having a new policy about screaming recruits getting in the military to keep these damn extremists out. And that, once again, is a a narrative device. It's not a factual thing. I mean, I don't know what the hell they're going to do to keep the uh, keep extra. I, I don't even understand what that could possibly be other than starting to get way doing deep dives into people's um, uh, social media accounts. And and if you if, if I got a picture of me, I'm wearing a black rifle T-shirt. Is this is this extremism? Look at this shirt. It's got an American flag with a rifle on it. This is the kind of shit they could be looking at for all we know. Because they got to find something, and it can't be something real because there's nothing really there to find. It would be, uh, listen to this in terms of Orwellian shit. You like something on a page that they deem as extreme or you comment or something. So there would be that level of tracking. Exactly. And, I mean, Orwell... His his decomposed heart is now beating and glowing like the kraken at the bottom of uh, the ocean, you know. It's uh, it's. I mean, you think about that kind of Orwellian shit, and I go back to Young Will's comment: What is the problem, and and what asset what assets are we going to devote to this quote unquote problem? And so it is. Um. Um. Yeah, it's pretty. Pretty astounding. Again, as you said, not surprised, right? We expected to find exactly what they found with Marines United, which was in a force of over a quarter million Marines, right? We have less than 50, you know, that they get any time, any kind of uh, either administrative or non-judicial punishment. And it's uh, pretty amazing. Jeffrey, your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, ever since um, Clinton administration, the high-ranking military, high-ranking DOD, their attitude towards civilian leadership of our nation is both parts uh, contempt and other times cringing obsequiousness. Whenever there's an issue that, that comes up, they feel like, well, we have to go overboard to show them, even though we really don't believe it that we're really going to take care of this problem, which we really don't think is a problem. And, and this is this is one of those examples. And, and the egregious thing for the Marines, young Marines, um, the guys who actually do stuff in the Marine Corps, it's uh, disheartening for them because they don't understand what they're supposed to do. They're not doing anything wrong. They're not involved in any of this. This is like Will was going through the numbers. It's so small, it's ridiculous. But that's kind of like uh, the, the coin of the realm now in our nation. There are narratives being pushed. There's a disease that's out there that 99% of the people of all ages survive once they get it. Yet, yet we've turned the nation inside out with that. And just like there's 99% of the Marines are not involved in extremism, 99% of the people are not going to die from this disease. We've done foolish things. And wasted, you know, insane amounts of money trying to deal with a problem that doesn't really exist. Present a narrative that our nation is in deep trouble, and we need to have 
uh, diminution of our liberties in order to deal with it. And this is one of them. One of the biggest things they worry about is uh, is the uh, armed thinking American citizen. And a lot of armed thinking American citizens learn a lot how to be that way in the years that they're in the military. And that's my opinion on this thing. I want to read you um, the Secretary of Defense's memorandum for senior Pentagon leadership, defense agency, and DOD field activity directors, Commandant of the Coast Guard. Subject, countering extremist activities within the Department of Defense. So this is dated December 20th, 2021. So as this report is published, as this data is shared, the Secretary of Defense puts his stamp on it. The overwhelming majority of the men and women of the Department of, of Defense serve this country with honor and integrity. Now, if I was going to attach uh, some sort of phraseology to the numerical value 99.995, I don't think it would be overwhelming majority, okay? So a majority is 51%. An overwhelming majority, what, 60, 70? What is 99.995? That's not an overwhelming majority. Are you shitting me? So he doesn't include the data in here. He doesn't use that. Right? Let me, right, Secretary McNamara, not the, not the, not the evil one, but the good one, me, right? <clears throat> you would lead with that number. Based on the 99.95% of the force that is not involved with this, right? I want to thank everybody for their patience. I want to thank everybody for their efforts. We do not have a problem with extremism in the force, right? As we are with racism, with sexism, and all the other things that America watches out for, we will always be on guard for this. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Good night. But he goes on, right? But but listen, so so that the overwhelming majority of men and women of the DOD serve this country with honor and integrity. They respect the oath they took to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. We are grateful for their dedication. We believe only a very few violate this oath by participating in extremist activities. But here you go. But even the actions of a few can have an outsized impact on unit cohesion. Are you <laughs> shitting me? Exactly. He uses oh that non-data as the premise for that, for that statement, right? And then he goes into, you know, what we're going to do. And so it is astounding and I, I hearken back to the confirmation hearings when you hear them say, speak truth to power. Oh, yes, Senator. You know, you know in my entire career, I've done that, and I can tend to, like, you talk about a high-functioning conformist, okay? That's an insult to every high-functioning conformist out there, right? This is— Are they really high-forming, though, even now? No, this is, not, this is like, not high-forming. This is just conformist. Yes, that's right. Would you yeah, think of, go ahead? Think of those numbers. Think of those numbers. A hundred 
How many battalion, squadron, ship size units are in the U.S. military? Tim? Are there six, seven hundred, eight hundred? That sounds right. Yeah. So that means, let's say those hundred are spread out. There's one in each one. So maybe in an eighth or a tenth or a sixth of the units, there's one person. So in your battalion, there's one guy. That one guy is going to disrupt the unit cohesion and performance of the entire organization. I mean, the premise of what he says is so bizarrely stupid. Especially if he's talking about white supremacy, like anybody's going to listen to that. Oh, oh, that's an interesting perspective there, like Nice Corporal. It's like an evil version of the music man who's in, in these units, and he, he, he you know, he, he transforms them into, into psychopaths and racists. You know, even the even the ones who are, who are of the race he doesn't like, they're all going to be racist. Hey, and I'll tell you what. Here's what I, I would like. I would like to see the ones I did identify, and I would like to see what those idiots actually did. And I'd like to sit down with them and their friends and say, tell me what happened when you liked this and made this statement. Did alcohol have anything to do with it? Oh, sir, we were in the barracks drinking and we were fucking around and blah, blah, blah. He was talking shit. Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, because it goes back to the urination thing, right? These scout snipers, they're wearing the SS right of the german ss if you ask those young marines that shit they will look at you and say who i thought it was like the letters from that band kiss i i I thought it was bitching right it's like you're you you you're connecting dots and that's why i'd like to see the the cases of those avowed extremists and see what they did and are they just young, stupid shitheads, or are they in fact extremists? Because I... well, they're not good extremists, right? Hassan <laughs> was a good extremist. Hassan was identified by some of his coworkers. His activity could have easily been noted and intercepted, but he was a good extremist, and he ended up killing thirteen people. Uh, at point blank range. And Austin is saying that one guy of whatever, maybe it's all extremists have been identified in that hundred, is going to have an outsized impact on unit cohesion. Well, shooting 13 people in the head at close range had an outsized impact on unit cohesion. And we actually knew who this guy was. and We didn't, we didn't do anything about it. I mean, I mean it's just so utterly beyond stupid and again i i wish colonel uh at the end of his article would have closed with that instead of giving it any props that oh we need to be careful with this no we don't that's a good that's a good point well that's a good point like so many others colonel cancian is is using invisible ink in what he writes he wants us to read between the lines and see because we know how he is we, we see the obvious question is, you know, that, that he's pointing out here. You know, you know, we just can't seem we can't allow this problem to go on. There ain't, the obvious thing is what problem? 
this is not a problem. We got love, <laughs> right? And he wants us to say that. I was, I hope he does anyway, unless he's trying to not get fired. Because a lot of people are doing this. I call it speaking in invisible ink. They, the, the, the obvious answer is, you know, is laying right there and they don't put it up. You know, they don't put it out. Um, you know, it's, uh, I have to tell you, though, this is typical of the military when, when they're under the gun. The first guys they blame are the, the one bunch that we have who always does okay. They, they blame the tactical level. And even though I don't agree with this guy, um, uh, Scheller, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, he, recently in an interview, he said he, he's right. These guys all of a sudden are going to change the way we do our ta- the way we have our tactical setup. We're going to get rid of this and get, and change and make the Marines better. Hey, the Marines always been good. It's you guys who haven't been that good. All the screw ups, you know, of putting a hundred thousand guys and trying to quell the whole country of Iraq in two thousand and four. You know, one every dumb move after another has not been at the tactical level. Oh no, it's been above that, operational and above. And these guys, they're never going to admit that. What's the what's it make, what makes it look like they're doing something? They screw with the corporals and the captains, the one bunch that doesn't need screwed with. Yeah, it's not like you saw a lot of guys line up and say, "Hey, you know, <clears throat> when this uh, extremism uh, subject came up, I made some statements that probably were not accurate." I want to I want to apologize. I want to apologize to everybody. I want to tell you how much pride I, I, I take in these numbers, and uh, and uh, we're going to continue to press on. But it, please accept my apology for the things I said. But you know, and but again, the, the people that are saying this stuff, uh, the people that have sworn to speak truth to power, are people like the Secretary of Defense, people like the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It's those people, and as Jeff accurately points out. Hey, the young people of the DOD are never the problem, and, right? And they will they they will do anything that we train them to do, and they historically have done that. What What are the chances that the Colorado Marine Corps thought, "Hey, shit, you know, I've been around this for forty years. I've never seen any of this, but there might be some, so I better wait for an investigation before I weigh in." I I would have been much more comfortable to hear that from the very get go from one of those service leaders saying, "Whoa." I've been around this outfit 40 years, and that is not our problem. Our problem is, and then you say something that has to do with war fighting and combat excellence. I know as archaic as that thought is. Yeah, that's pretty But it, it would have been comfortable to sit. It would have been comfortable to sit. On the front on, 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 the, on the front side. On the front side. On the right? front side. Yeah. Because you, nobody, everybody so knew this was bullshit. It wasn't any secret what they're going to find. We knew it was bullshit. We were saying it at the beginning. It was almost funny. It's funny because we're retired, I guess. If I was on active duty, I'd be pissed. Yeah, but like the Marines United thing and some other issues, you've had the highest ranking Marine sometimes basically trash the whole, you know, the whole Marine Corps because of isolated incidents. And and never stay and never and from the first from the get go, like Max just said, say, you know, I'm not going to tar my whole service uh, hide with this with this brush because mm-hmm. that would be unjust. That would be unjust, and it would be bad for morale and discipline for all these guys who are busting their humps to be told that you're you're you know you're suspect because of these few guys that nobody seems to know. I mean that's that you're right about that. Well, to and here's and, and let me like tell you, that. I think there's an there's an there's intellectual basis for that pushback. 
Senator, we have a series of reports. I don't know how bad the problem is. But here's what I do know. In the past, when these things have come up, they tend to be confined to a very, very small group in a force of over a quarter million people, less than 50. So I think these young Marines, who I represent here today, have earned the right for me to say to you, I believe these numbers will be very small because I've been in this thing for 40 years, and that's what I know. And so that, that if, you, if you're looking for my opinion, that's what it is. And they've earned, they've earned for me to say that. And I oh. think that, it, 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 yeah. Hey, oh, leadership. Here's, here's that, another wow. take. Who would have yeah, thought that? another take on it. Uh-oh. Um, Uh-oh. Senator, I don't believe that we've got a violent extremist problem in the Marine Corps. Because if we had a violent extremist problem that manifested on January 6th, there would have been a whole lot of dead people <laughs> in Congress and on Capitol Hill. So that's obviously not the military that was involved in that. If it is, we've been screwing up training for a long time. So we don't think it was us, right? That's got a, that's got a little bit. That's, that's, that's got a, you know, uh, when I interviewed Colonel Kansian, um, this whole concept of extremism, right? Um, I said, I just hope the next time somebody accuses Marines of being extremists, somebody rips off General Krulak's quote, right? When yeah. when that Clinton person called Marines what fanatics, and uh, and General Krulak said, "Oh, Marines are fanatic." No, no, extremists. That was the term. Extremist. Was it extremist? I couldn't remember. Yeah. If it, yeah. yeah. I hope uh, somebody. I hope somebody has the presence of mind. Proud, <laughs> extremely disciplined. Right. Extremely yeah. fit. Right. It went down. Oh uh, yeah. Everybody all- likes that one too. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Um. I saw probably the best thing I've seen written um, about the the events going on in uh, Eastern Europe, in Russia, and Russia v. Ukraine, and is written by a uh, it was it was in the New York Times, and uh, so I sent it to uh, to the uh, the three musketeers here. And the headline is what Putin really wants from the Ukraine crisis. And it's written by a guy named Brett Stevens, former writer at the Wall Street Journal, uh, has won a Pulitzer Prize. I, I just w- am curious. Um, and, and again, St- and I'll post the article with this so you all can read it. But what Brett Stevens says is, you know, that Putin's got his Nord gas two pipeline and he's already pumping gas into, into, uh, Western Europe. And he wants nothing more than to break the back of NATO. And what he would like to see happen is he would like to see, um, the United States tell Russia to pound sand. Russia begins to move into Ukraine with that, America cuts Russia off from the international monetary system. Russia then cuts Europe in, in, in the cold of winter off from its natural gas. Europe then tells the United States, hey, we're going we're gonna to seek a separate deal with Russia, and then he will have won. Uh, 
And then the United States has to turn the money thing back on. So anyway, that's the thesis of the article. Uh, I thought you know, one of the things I think he does well is he, he, he walks you through the bipartisan uh, stupidity of, uh, of our presidents, uh, starting when uh, in 2008 when uh, Russia, led by Vladimir Putin, goes into uh, the Republic of Georgia. And so he does a. He, I, th- I think he does a pretty good good job outlining that. Um, I'm curious what you think about his uh, about his thesis, Will. Yeah. So first, Brett Stevens. You know, he's a neocon, and he's a never Trumper. So that's that's part of this. Um, you know, his thesis also is is that we need to be involved, right? We can't let Russia do anything like this. We should be shipping arms. Uh, he takes a, a swipe at Trump and says, you know, Trump uh, uh, tried to attach uh, political leverage. Uh, I want to get the quote here. Um, Trump tried to hold hostage military assistance to Ukraine for political favors before he was exposed, leading to his first impeachment. That's a very nice Democratic Party talking point, never Trumper talking point about what was going on in Ukraine. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's hard to know what's going on in the mind of Vladimir Putin um, if I was to guess, I think there's a 75% chance that this is for internal consumption in Russia. I have a sense that there's a 25% that he's trying to lever something. Um, but I have a hard time thinking that he wants to go to the brink of nuclear annihilation uh, over something like this. Um, he's got leverage with gas. I do not believe that Nord Stream 2 is hooked up, though. He's got other pipelines. Yeah, it's the other pipeline. Into Western right? Europe. Yep. Right. Nord Stream 2 has not been hooked up. Uh, he wants to get it hooked up. Um Western Europe desperately needs it because they've turned off all their nuclear power. And they're relying <laughs> on solar and wind. Energy is up by a multiple of four. Um, I, I think there's things in here that are are thoughtful. Um, but, you know, Stephen's thesis is, is that uh, we need to get the U.S. involved. And the idea, oh, we'll just ship them a few arms. I think somebody said that in the White House about Vietnam in like 1958 or something. Um, I don't know that that ends because, okay, ship them arms to do what? And if that doesn't work, then what? You know, what's the strategy that he's advocating? And in the end, um, it's a bunch of tactics that end up with military confrontation with, with Russia over a place that... I'm willing to say 99% of the people in the United States, the only way they could put Ukraine on a map is because they played risk when they were a kid. Other than that, no idea. So. Yeah. Are you going to leave us? You said, so that's it. 
Yeah, that's a, that's an art that allows the listener to think through a little bit. You see, that's how we're supposed to be doing radio. We're not supposed to be holding them by the hand. You know what I mean? Sorry. My apologies. I, and I didn't want to say anything, but fit, while 51% is a majority, actually anything over 50% is a majority. Just want to make sure we got our facts straight from about 10 minutes. Well, I don't want to go into like, Fifty point zero. So I just, just anything I, over fifty. I just rounded it. I just rounded it. All right. So now that we have that out of the way, um, Tim. Yeah, I've 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 got the same issues with the uh, with the author. I I note that what he accused Trump of, we know for a fact that Biden is guilty of from Hunter's laptop that we're not allowed to talk about. So that uh, that annoyance aside. He doesn't need to attack Ukraine. Uh, uh, right right now, um, Vladimir Putin is in the catbird seat, particularly after successfully going into Kazakhstan and completely disrupting that revolution in about 48 hours. And so he now has got the strongmen in the stands are, of course, are singing, are, are aligned with him and will pretty much do as he says. He's exerted control in the provinces that were dominated by Russian speakers, what, four years ago, and we did nothing. I've been looking at a lot of, of footage of, of uh, Ukrainian defenses and, and seeing what these people are doing. And he, well, first off, everybody in the goddamn world has those nice new ballistic helmets with the high cut things and ear puffs, and everybody has them on, on YouTube, in Ukraine, in Afghanistan. I'm very, very jealous about that because I don't have a, I don't have any of that <laughs> war belt stuff. But you see in Ukraine, they, they, you, you can see that their front lines are pretty well developed in depth, and they've got a lot of people there that have been up there fighting for four or five years. I mean, not four or five years in, in consistently, rotating in, rotating out, rotating in, rotating out. I don't think Russia's going to be able to run over Ukraine quite as easily as you would think, and I don't think that that, that Putin wants to, wants to take a shit ton of casualties. Right now, the Russian people are all about this aggressive stance, and he's getting everything he wants without doing anything but just rattling his saber. And of course, the, 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 the Kazakhstan thing, another demonstration of his decisive ability to insert military forces and actually let him do military forces things. It's amazing. It's when you like stop micromanage him from back 6,000 miles away and let people on the ground do what they're supposed to do. It's, it's amazing how quickly that happens. Sort of like, you know, what we would do back in 2001, but not now. I saw the number 13,000 thrown out as the number of people killed in that conflict so far. What? That's the thing about the Russians. They're a little firepower heavy. I have no idea. You know, because when you're reading the news, the other thing is as you're reading the news about any aspect of what's in the news now, it's like being in Japan in 1943. It's like, oh, we're seeing victories, victories, and strategic withdrawals, and you're like, what the hell's going on? The news doesn't make any sense based on what you know and you can see with your own two eyes. And I'm referring, of course, to like the Supreme Court justices and a bunch of other stuff. But 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 none of the reporting you're getting out of these areas, I, I, I have any faith in. And right now, it just appears that we're consistently on the back foot, consistently reacting. But our Secretary of State has a cool playlist out that you can download so you, too, can connect with Stinking Blinken with his, uh, his his magical playlist. And one of them is something about uh, back in the USSR. I think that's on it, too. What an asshole. <laughs> what a 
knucklehead to put that out there. But anyway, he's he's back in the USSR and he's singing and he's going to be singing their tunes, not dictating squat. And we know that to be a fact. Jeffrey, your thoughts? Yeah, this is Brett Stevens guy. He's an impressive writer, but uh, uh, he's uh, he's like the he's like in this tribe of people up there. Really smart, very eloquent, good writers. William Crystal, like uh, Jonah Goldberg, and uh, like fifteen or twenty others, who uh, are always always wanting to uh, face off against uh, every type of perceived aggression. They're never very specific about how to do it. Like we'll saying we'll do we'll send this we'll do this, you know. But it's not really specific, and if it it usually doesn't work when people do do it, and then they're the first ones to criticize why it didn't work. Whichever side of the aisle does it, and uh, so they've got a little place they can live in there. This guy went from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times, and uh, so most of his art, you know, and New York Times is of course lefto. Wall, Wall Street Journal is probably the best publication being written in, uh, you know, newspaper-wise in, in New York City now. And uh, he works for New York Times now. He, he pr- puts out this type of thing. And I have to say, most of this stuff, you know, I can see the merit in it. Uh, as far as what he says Putin's going to do, he doesn't have any more insight than anybody else. I think Putin wants to keep the Western alliances from, you know, moving the alliance further eastwards. Yeah, that's what... That's what Peter the Great wanted to keep from happening. That's what Joe Stalin wanted to keep from happening. That's what this. That's what Putin wants to keep from happening. That's the classic Russian autocrat's uh, modus operandi. So you know he doesn't really say much. You know? um, as far as uh, stopping Russia from invasion, they, if Putin thinks he can get away with it and not suffer too much, he'll do it. If he doesn't, he probably won't. I think right now because of the. The image the United States is putting out internationally, things look pretty grim if you're a Ukrainian citizen. If you're living in Kiev, you better uh, dig out your basement and get ready for the bombardment. I say, I don't see, why not? Take, I don't think our president would, would uh, I don't think our national uh, command authority do anything. anything. And I doubt the, uh, the efficacy of sanctions or even the sincerity of it. So, what do we think will happen? Do do we think that Russian troops at some point will go into take more land in Ukraine? Let's take a vote. Will yes or no? Uh, I I don't think so. No. Tim. I'm with Will. Uh, it's an unnecessary risk. Jeff? I think he'll do, he'll make some aggressive moves, but he might have everything he wants out of Ukraine. And because he's not attacking Ukraine, but he's messing with Latvia or Estonia or something like that, you know, they might, uh, they might be able to use that as an excuse not to do anything meaningful. Besides so hold on. Is, is that, is that a yes? Is that a yes or no? Is that a yes or no? No. no, no, not necessarily. And there's one thing I'd like to add to this discussion, and that is that Vlad's making a lot of money now because he's because natural gas prices are through the roof. When four, four or five years ago, back when America was energy independent, national gas, uh, gas prices and oil prices had sunken through the bottom. 
to the point where even exploring for it wasn't even wasn't even worthwhile. We had driven the price of natural gas down into the basement with our overabundance right out here in my backyard in Texas, but that's no longer that's that that's no longer operable. Um, nobody's even talking about that. And natural gas is a carbon. It, it produces a much reduced carbon footprint than coal and oil. But you know, nobody wants to talk about that either. Yeah. So so that's the other thing that's going on. As as Will said, Germany has taken working working nuclear plants offline for no reason other than it seems to be a popular idea, and they're screwed. They're, they are screwed. Well, you we know, it, it, the whole world has done that. The United States has done that, right? It's like yeah, we sure. have this we have this energy efficient aspiration, and before we get the infrastructure even blueprinted and ground broken, we're all, already dismantling, right? The great demons of global warming, and who's going to pay the price for that? It's citizens all around the world yeah. who don't have the money to, to really pay that stuff. and it, it's But it's just amazing that policymakers would go ahead and do that. You can't. And, and let me tell you, and that's what's going on here in California when you see these brownouts and things like that. There, there isn't enough solar and wind available. And so, and, and, and people aren't selling, there's not, when temperatures get extreme, there's not enough to move, there's not enough marginal capacity to move. So guess what? We've got to shut electricity off in different parts of the, of the state. Stunning, as a policymaker, that that's where, and, and Europe just, Europe just did the same thing. I mean, Germany just shut down uh, six nuclear plants or something like that, and you're just going, you've got to be kidding me. But, yeah, and nuclear's, nuclear's the safest energy in the history of man. All right, the third thing I want to talk about is hold on. There's an article written in proceedings called "A War Fighting Imperative," <laughs> and uh, to me, you are a veteran of the United. Well, you and well, I don't know. Well, is well, are you actually a veteran of the Navy? I don't, you're kind of a hybrid kind of a. Yeah, I don't know what how they consider. I mean, it, we were on active duty when we were there, but it it doesn't count against retirement or anything like that. Oh, then that's okay. Some special laws. Yeah. So okay, special case. You're a marine. So, Tim, as our uh, resident naval expert. Um, hey, hey, hey! Marines are naval officers. That's exactly right. Here, 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 here to that. Um, we do have an anchor, right? Thank you very much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, okay, Tim, what do you say? Back to well, basics. It's it's interesting that he goes back to World War II in order to find his uh, to to illustrate his points, and he's talking about a navy that had a pre-war culture. I'm I'm reading right from the article that gave it such tenacity and agility, and they were embracing an imperative that placed war fighting above all else in the organization is the foundation of victory in war. We've been saying that, I think, since you started this program, every, every one of us has said that in one way or the other. The problem is you don't have a Navy that in any way, shape, or form is, is, has the ability 
to embrace an imperative such as a war fighting culture. What he's talking about is the World War II Navy. And you'll know if the Navy ever gets remotely close to that when um, when, when destroyer and cruiser uh, sailors start fighting with Marines in downtown Norfolk again. Then you'll know that they've got some they've got some spirit back. They've got some gumption. They've got some pride. <laughs> but but all the attributes that that happen when you charge young men up with with this these type of concepts is they are a they are a belligerent and boisterous bunch and we can't have that now unfortunately because any kind of a conflict between two people where they're hitting each other with fists is very antisocial behavior and probably illustrates some type of deep psychological damage inside the child that will you know, result in him growing up to be a, I don't know, a Marine Corps colonel or something worse, but we don't know. You see what I'm saying? So he can write that all he wants to. Who the hell is he talking to? He's talking to us retired guys. We're all saying, yeah, man, I'm with you on that. But today's Navy, are you shitting me? No, no, no. They can't even get a hose on a fire for two fucking hours. Oh my God. And I, and every once, when I was depressed while we were gone, I went back to reading toll books just to make myself happy again. So I'm all up on the World War II Navy because I've been listening to the toll books also because I do the both reading and listening stuff. And it calms me to think of competence. It calms me to think that they had water on fires 30 seconds after bomb hits. It comforts me to think that that, that aircraft carriers could take a thousand pounders through the deck and three hours later they're doing flight ops again. That shit makes me excited. Not sexually, I don't want to be releasing too much personal information. But that's not the Navy today, and you can't get there from here. You're never going to get there. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they need to get their asses whipped, and then they'll start thinking about maybe improving it and getting back to the point where they'll start brawling with Marines on Liberty Ports. That's always a good sign of morale, in my humble opinion. That is that is the single funniest thing you've ever said on this program. <laughs> Well, it's true, though. It's true. How do you know you have good morale? The boys are fighting each other. Well, that's bad. No, it's not. It's okay if they don't, like, maim each other. Even when they maim each other, you can fix it sometimes, you know? Oh, jeez. Yeah, like when, like when I, remember when I kicked out his bone broken in his eye and his eye fell down in there? Do you remember the story behind that? That happened to us in IOC. He was the kid that D. Giovanni had primed to be the uh, the actor. And his roommate thought he had been tortured. And when it turned out that he was acting, his roommate hit him. Oh, yeah, that, was, uh, that wasn't a sign of high morale. But back then, you could fix things like that. It wasn't a big deal. Even I, kind of I saw that injury. somebody, I think it was in the Seventh Fleet, got relieved. CO and XO got relieved over sexual harassment um, allegations over the holiday. And it brought to me back to the USS Somerset. Commanding officer doesn't know that he has the authority to tell those Amtraks, yeah, you don't come to this ship till I tell you to. Right? Eight Marines and a sailor die, and that guy, and that guy remains in command. And if that's your Navy, and if those are your standards, you're going to get your ass kicked. Jeffrey, uh, thoughts on that article? Okay, it was, it was mostly very good. Primary weapons torpedo. Primary objective transport. Do ever launch torpedoes at close range before being discovered? We'll try to avoid action en route. Use own discretion in attacking independently when targets located. That's uh, that's the CO of the um, 
Senior article. Uh, oh, shit. No, no, no. That, I, 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 that's the rear admiral right at the start. Commander, right. Commander Paul Talbot, Talbot sent that to his guys. Uh, he was the commander of uh, the, the guys in the Battle of uh, Balit Papan in January '42. So that's perfect uh, commander's intent, you know, and everything you need to know, you know, very pithy uh, orders. That's when Navy was was great. And the other thing he points out that's interesting to me that I'm going to use in future arguments that I have with people is uh, my family. A lot of times says the only reason we won World War II is because we outproduced everybody. They say that particularly about the Navy against the Japanese. And this proves that fighting in 1942 and early 43, before the big wave waves of, uh, you know, new aircraft carriers and uh, cruisers and so forth arrived and aircraft, you know, we, the, the, our Navy, our Navy fought from their back and won. That's when the war was actually, you know, when basically they shot the half on the Navy and then 44 and 45, they just fucking pinned. Uh, but I disagree when he says the Navy is full of great. The, the Navy, I'm going. I'm. I got my computer on my lap here. It's actually a pretty good setup, Mac, that you got here with. Uh, but uh, later on, he says today's Navy is manned by a highly professional sailors. For the most part, aircraft and ships are operated safely, effectively, and efficiently. Now, I would, as you guys just pointed out, I would point out that things ain't as sweet as that. They got issues, and the issues are growing. You know, they're growing like, uh, like a, you know, like a swelling wound. You know what I mean? They're not getting better. That's my thoughts about this. Angie, or about this thing. Very well, interesting article, though. You got to admit, right. you know. No, I, I think it's very. Uh, you read it, and you're like, oh, one right. more thing. Yes. One more thing. Yes. The most important. Thing. Tempo, tempo. That's the one thing. The, the bureaucracy of the DOD has made sure to stick in the two worst, uh, you know, performances militarily in an operational sense: Vietnam and then the Iraq-Afghan thing. Because of the way they ran things and the strategy that had to be cleared, you know, at ridiculously high levels, tempo was lost. Tempo was lost. And those guys in Vietnam up there along the trace, just waiting for the next time the, time the North Vietnamese are come pouring across that border to attack them. And even though, even then, they kicked their ass. Would have done better if we, you know, if we controlled tempo, which these guys don't even understand. I like the I like the quote at the start of the uh, article. This is suicide, Rear Admiral Dan Callahan, who is uh, what uh, heading down what what do they call it the the, the what's, slot the slot, yeah, the slot. Mm-hmm. right? Um, Callahan's response: I know it is, but we have to do it. <laughs> right, I mean, that's... Well, and then and then just after that, he says, "None flinched." Right? Could you say that about our modern navy today? None flinched. They're flinching right now. <laughs> Listening to this interview, Will, uh, what say you about the article? Yeah, I mean, the guy he he starts out and describes. Uh, the Navy of World War II, and the guy has read that book by Trent Hone that we talked about on here before called Learning War. And, and it shows how the Navy had developed uh, actually before, as a transition, sail to steam, 
uh, big guns, pre-World War One, the interwar years, and how all those things uh, were culminating in World War Two that allowed for very rapid dissemination of information, but also a tremendous focus. Um, you know, he doesn't talk about it here, but Trent Hone in his book talks about Admiral King convening a conference on the Combat Information Center. Navy ships didn't have them. The Combat Information Center was the brain of the commanding officer. And people had put this thing together in space that they jury-rigged, and Ernest King, in the middle of this global war, understands the importance of this to disseminate this throughout the Navy. Uh, you know, Jeff said in there where this guy starts falling down is when he throws out that obligatory, you know, we're all a bunch of professionals and for the most part operate safely. That's like saying the guy who was on guard at Ford's theater behind Lincoln's suite for the most part did his job. It's just that one unfortunate minute that John Wilkes Booth got through. Eh. Um, he, he points out some things that are, that, you know, that are good that I think are lost. The Navy's focus on this top-down certifications. And he says certifications should be a floor of performance, not a ceiling. That's the minimal acceptable standard. Uh, and to be an organization of excellence, you've got to be able to strive for more than that, but they're not. They haven't. And, uh, you know, Tim really summed it up. It Wouldn't it be interesting if this was written by a three-star admiral you know, in charge of a fleet or operations uh, or something like that? Yeah. Instead, it's written by a retired guy um, who's talking to a bunch of retired guys who are obviously completely out of touch what's important out there. Um, so uh, it's nice that Proceedings put it in there, and I think they published an article from John Lehman, a similar article in the same, in the same issue. Um, but, you know, w wouldn't it be great if the CNO Instead of coming out and, you know, patting people on the head because they're the right chromosomes and we're putting them in charge of something, put this out and said, this is requi required reading in every wardroom in the fleet. And when I come to visit, after we do photo ops and hand out coins, I want to sit down and discuss this article with the officers in your wardroom. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Um wow. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to remotely give odds on that ever happening. So, uh, yeah, I was just echo. Um, it's, it's it's pretty motivational piece to read, but if you if you're looking for the tie rods that you know when we turn the wheel that make this happen, um, they're not there anymore, and so that's where the Navy is. The Navy, um sat out for the most part. I mean, they did. They sat out um, two major conflicts, and they they have atrophied. And worse yet, 
their mindset, you know, if 20 years ago, and I think it would be a stretch to say it was 20 years ago, but but whatever it was 20 years ago, it sure is not about combat. And now they're trying to, they're, you know, they're gesticulating. But again, I, I again, <clears throat> captain of the Somerset, he didn't get relieved for what happened on his ship. But you screw up sexual harassment or something like that, you're you're dead as fried chicken. And 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 that is and that has come through in surveys that you've seen published and written about, where you have naval officers saying, "Look, you can go to sea and be screwed up. You can be operational, mediocre, and shitty, and still get promoted. But there's some things you cannot screw up." You cannot screw up equal opportunity. You cannot screw up sexual harassment. You can't, you know. And so, okay, so that's what that's what you're about. And, you know, God God bless them, and I hope God helps them because they need it because they're in a hurt locker as a culture. And I'm not sure if if the if the leaders of the Navy now who who have been completely a part of this process have what it takes to to turn that around. I, I just, yeah, and I, Mac, it's not they. It's us. This is our Navy. It happens to be our favorite Navy, but it's our Navy. It's not them. It's us. And they are screwing it up. Um, and and, and the, the problem is how do we help solve a problem? We don't. Yeah, we, we don't. Know, we don't. Will they look at uh, they look at us when we say this kind of shit? Like we have a two by four growing out of our forehead. You don't know. You don't. You don't know. You 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 crazy fuck Marines. What do you know about anything? You certainly don't know anything about the Navy. Well, the the mechanism used to be through your local congressman and representative. The assumption being retired personnel, especially. Uh, uh, a senior enlisted or senior officers would establish a relationship with these guys and have a say or at least write to them and get a respectful response. That used to be how you can do it. Writing a congressman about this now is is a complete waste of time. That, and I'm not saying we, us four. I'm saying we, the nation. No, no, no I understand what you're saying. You know, if there unfortunately, was, unfortunately, I think Tim's thesis up front is really the only way that there's an ass kicking and that's a really ugly way to reform that is you know i mean hemingway said in our army you obey like a dog and the best you can hope for is to get a good master the truth that's really true of the whole service we are here to obey the civilian leadership and until they insist like they're insisting on this bullshit right now like in the old days it was understood by these guys if the navy and the army and to a lesser extent, the Marine Corps didn't do their jobs. Talking back when we had a, we had the Secretary of War, right? They get fired, and not only that, their service might suffer. Particularly the ground services, the Army and the and the Marine Corps. We'll get rid of you guys like nobody's business. We'll cut you to the bone. The one they didn't, and the one they really leaned on, though, and, and had and had a, a culture like, kind of like Genghis Khan and his guys, as far as you know, firing people and being tough. Was that Navy between World War One and World War Two, and uh, that's what you need. We need the civilian leadership to come in and give them the incentive to clean up their house. 
and they got to stop worrying about uh, what, what in, okay so let me so what incentive would that be Jeff? not getting fired for stuff like uh, you know for for things like uh, military failures like burning ships that don't get repaired like the thing like the stuff with the Somerset I mean here the one guy who shouldn't have, who had probably had the least to do with this thing he gets fired the colonel of the mu but the guy in charge of the actual ship, in charge of the actual operation to recover the AAVs, he doesn't even know he's supposed to be in charge. And <laughs> nothing happens to that guy. Fucking brutal, man. That's why I say I don't know. I if you if you say okay, well, Mac, what's your solution? I would look at you and say I don't have one. I I, I don't. I think it's. I just don't, I don't think they see reality and you can go from here's a set of DVDs to become a surface warfare officer, go to your ship and do prac app and, and it'll all take care of itself. I mean, you're talking about infrastructure that is so fucked up. I don't, I don't even know how to even start. I mean, do you have an attitude that, that I want to join the Navy cause I want to fight and I want to keep the country safe and I'm willing to die in its defense. Do you have that attitude? I don't. I don't think you do. Yeah, no. I mean, I don't. It, I, I don't know. I don't even know uh, where. Where do you start with 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 our navy? Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. It w it would take something so dramatic, the change of administration, uh, and you know, a super maverick like Al Gray or uh, Layman come in, and no kidding, ship can every three and four star admiral in the navy. Right. I mean, that's the sort of thing to at least send a message that whatever we've been doing, we ain't doing that anymore. And I'm going to run through you younger guys till I find someone who's going to do it. Uh, you know what? Um, Absolutely. And, and and look, I just fired every two and three star admiral. I'll fire every one of your fucking asses. This is what I want. This is what you're going to give me. All right. You know what from down. All right. Now, God damn it. Let's do it. Because if we don't. Right. If we don't, we leave the nation in the lurch and we will not do that. You know, the admirals could say, well, you know, if you if you take away our expert leadership and whatnot, you're going to have problems with like basic seamanship <laughs> and navigation. Right. And, and to which you say, can it possibly be worse than it is right now? Uh, it, yeah. it could be, but not by much. Yeah. Yeah, I think most of those guys could drop dead tomorrow. No one knows the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that question, where, where would you start? I don't even, it's like, there's so much that you have to do. I mean, and then when you look at the way the Navy's been run, you know, one of the reasons the BHR went to mothballs was because if you took it into dry dock, you would screw up our shipbuilding plans for the next 20 years because we don't have the, the dry dock capacity. We don't have the repair capacity. Look at the USS Connecticut has to go to Bremerton to get repaired, right? The Pacific theater, the theater, it's where it's gonna happen. And we have a sub that gets damaged. It's gotta come to the United States to get repaired. I'm like, who, who the fuck like, is in charge of this shit? And when, when will it stop? It's just so, it's just so pervasive in so many areas. I mean, and again, what is that set up for the Chinese? There's a window that you have here. If you're gonna, if if you're serious about it, you have a window. While the American Navy is really struggling, and I think that you talk about a a, a vulnerability. 
for the nation, I would tell you right now, it's the American Navy. And if you're the Chinese, you have to look at that and say, look, they're going to start repairing this stuff. There's a lot of emphasis being replaced. And, and, and so we have a window here if we're serious about it. But I, I, it's just, I don't know where you start with our Navy. So let's talk about what, talk about something fun. Um, Jeffrey, you read a bunch of old books. What, uh, give us a sampling of what you read that was really good. Well, I read all the Flashman books I got, but I don't want to go through them until you guys know about those. Uh, they get you interested in reading more about uh, Af- you know, Afghanistan and that type of thing. Such a, to me, a fascinating thing, the Brits during the Victorian age, you know, fighting in that, in that time frame. But what I've been reading, you know, I went through it pretty quick, was Mike Etor's book, um, War, Principles of War for the Corporate Battlefield. What he does is he takes the principles of war and a lot of the other stuff that we teach and uh, we were being taught, you know, in uh, in AWS and command staff and so forth. And he uses military examples to, like, for instance, surprise. He uses, uh, like, uh, Hannibal at Trasimene. He uses uh, uh, the Bulge. He uses, uh, you know, uh, he uses uh, Washington at Trenton. Then he goes into stuff that, which I know all about, right? Then he goes into business examples of this stuff, which I know absolutely nothing about. Like uh, Disney acquiring Pixar, uh, that was a big surprise. I mean, they did that. It was a shock. They were able to do that. And uh, that increased Disney, like, significantly. And uh, and also, like, for instance, the uh, – the, uh, another one I didn't know with the uh, Amazon rolls out. AWS, right? So I'm like, I don't know anything about this. So I go through it, and it's like fascinating, you know, that that, that uh, the same type of issues in the, you know, we find tactically, operationally, and sometimes strategically, these business guys do too. And uh, so, what the book made me think is, so what the hell is going on now with uh, with like big tech and stuff like that, you know? It, it kind of opened up my horizons a little bit, but I would recommend it because for people who are interested in military stuff, it's fun, but it also it, it shows you, you know, uh, you know, different mil- and for all the uh, the whole moose must thing, he goes through the whole thing, you know, so it's uh, interesting and, and good to read. I'd recommend it. All right. Um, what's the, what's the title again? It's uh Principles of War for the Corporate Battlefield. We're fighting lessons for business leaders. Got it. Got it. Timothy, what are you reading? Well, I, I, <laughs> A Plague Upon Our House um, by, by Scott W. Atlas, MD, which is, which I found to be fascinating and, and explained the, 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 the overall premise of what the hell he was all upset about was it's just this simple. Dr. Deborah Brexit, or Brex, or whatever her name was, was using that stupid uh, model from Seattle as her baseline. And as they put all these stupid restrictions in place, because the desk never approached what that model said they should be, she said, look, we're winning. This, 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 is, this is a level of logic which would not be acceptable in high school, this kind of pretzel logic, and no shit. That's what we did for a year and a half, and what we're still doing now. It's 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 un goddamn believable. 
that the, the people who said we're following the science, we're using the data, we're not following the science or using the data whatsoever. So that's that's been what I was reading. And I think actually I, I was I got a copy of this. I was going to send it to you guys. I was going to read Fix and Failed States by Ashraf Gandhi because he's an expert. But uh, I couldn't bring myself to do it. But I do have a copy to give to somebody. I just got to figure out who to dump it on. I, I went and bought that. I saw it in the store. <laughs> it was like it was like three dollars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there's there's lots of good books out there. I recommend Atlas, not Gandhi. Got it. Got it. Will, how about you? So I read uh, two books over Christmas by the same guy, a guy named Snook, S-N-O-O-K, mm-hmm. lieutenant colonel in the British Army, uh, wrote two books. One was called How Can Man Die Better? And the other one is called Like Wolves on the Fold. Uh, the first book is about Islamwana, Islamwana which the anniversary is in about a week and a half, January 22nd, 1879, when the British get wiped out uh, by the Zulus. And like Wolves on the Fold is about the defense of Rourke's Drift. And what makes it interesting is that this guy was the colonel of the subsequent amalgamated regiment. So this was the 24th I think regiment of foot back in those days and as the British army is amalgamated down it turned into the South Wales borderers and this guy was a CO at one point he was also at uh, Sandhurst when uh, David Chandler was there that wrote that book it's about three inches thick on Napoleon and he came to visit TBS one time really funny guy and uh Who's the other really famous British author, Face a Battle? Um, John Keegan. Who, yeah, John Keegan. Keegan was also there. So those two were his mentors and when he was at Sandhurst uh, doing some graduate studies. But two great books about, um, you know, Victorian battles and disasters and recouping from disaster, et cetera. Highly recommended. And then I just started reading H.W. Uh, Brand's latest book. It's called Our First Civil War, and it's about the Loyalists versus the Patriots pre-Revolution and through the Revolutionary Era. And, I mean, that guy is just a phenomenal writer. It's a, it's a, it's a great book. I'm halfway through it. So that's what I've been reading. All right, boys. Well, first of all, um, it's a pleasure to hear your voices again. And uh, to me, I didn't know you were struggling, or I would have, uh, I would have told Jeff and Will to call you. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but, uh, on a, uh, on a positive note, it's nice to hear everybody again. And, uh, even though, even though I've muted everybody because Tim starts pounding on his keyboard, do you not, I mean, do you pound on it really hard? Because it sounds like you're absolutely beating the shit out of it. You have to unmute yourself. Well, wait. Okay, I, I I figured it out. Yes, I do hit the keys kind of hard. I okay, just to... type. Just type. Mary had a little lamb. So everybody, just listen. Go ahead. 
You have anger issues right there. Yes? No, no, no. I just got a very resilient keyboard. and it's, it's It must be resilient my... because if, when you beat the shit out of a keyboard like that, if it was not resilient, it would be broke. But I was, I was, I was hitting it a little harder because I was trying to – because when, when Will starts with this, I got these two obscure things about British and some guy. That, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna write that shit down because they're generally solid. So I've already I've got already lined up in my Amazon. How can man die better? Like wolves in a fold in our first civil war. I got all three of them, and that's what I was doing. I'm just taking notes. I listen to Will when he comes up with these books. Do you? Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's why you're smart. Um, yeah. So Will, when do you head west? uh saturday morning got it jeff what is your migration pattern you're in southern california when do you head east i'll be here till 28th i'll be here for i was here already been here for almost two weeks i'll be here for another couple weeks we're doing stuff here but i have to tell you that snook i'm gonna remember that those two books because i'm a big uh and will knows i'm a big fan of the uh there's a book called washing of the spears about the zulu nation it goes into those two battles, but the, it's really the whole Zulu history from 1820 when Shaka, you know, amalgamated the tribe until uh, after they lost the uh, ultimately lost the, the war. Uh, the war against the Zulus was lost by the Zulus and the Brits. But the the chief Tetsuayo actually went and visited Queen Victoria in uh, like in 1880 something. So. You know, it's like Will, uh, Will's waving goodbye. What do you got to go? Where are you going? Yeah, it's late here on the East Coast. Like, I know. Right. Where are you going? Like, what do you got to do? Hey, we got family time around here, you know? Oh, really? All right. All right. Well, that'll do it. Thank you, hey, very, guys. Thank you very much, man. Good night, Will. Good night. Hurrah. All right. Goodbye, Tim and Mac. Yeah, and good hey. night, Chesty Puller, wherever you are. <laughs> the- That'll do it on a Friday. I haven't said that in a while. Thanks for listening today. Uh, Good to have my friends back. Good to hear their voices. And I'm not joking. That thing Timmy went off on (laughs) might be one of the funniest things he's ever said. Yeah. Um, Except it's sad, but um, you just keep your fingers crossed and Hope that people can really get serious about this stuff and aren't afraid. Because if it doesn't get fixed, there could be a lot of dead Americans someplace. On that cheery note, have a great weekend. You're going to hear an interview I did with Mark Kansian, Colonel, CSIS guy, about the article that he wrote. You'll hear that on Monday. Grant will join us Wednesday, and these guys will be back on Friday. So, have a great weekend. 
I'm Mike McNamara, this is All Marine Radio. If I can help you help somebody get a hold of me, all the contact information through the website comes to me and we'll uh, make somebody's life better. On that note, on a Friday, I'm out.